Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Liberate the Podcast. Today, we're welcoming Regina Martinelli, and she is a transformational NLP practitioner. And we're going to be talking about the thing that a lot of people love to talk about, money, money, money. At times, we all feel lost in search of something more. This is Christina Dam, and this is Liberate the Podcast, a podcast designed to help inspire and guide you forward through everything spirituality, creativity, art, and just giving you a sense of empowerment so that you can be powerful, be magical, and be free. And you're limiting the beliefs around money and how uh, to significantly shift them with ease for freedom, choice, fun, joy in your life. So there's a lot of different things that we can jump into, but welcome, Regina. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Christine. Thank you for having me here. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> and I'm jealous of your warm, fluffy doggy. Oh, I know. <laughs> He's Well, you know, this is Chewy. Most people know him. He makes guest appearances on the podcast um, every few episodes, but he decided that he is comfortable and doesn't want to move. So I'm letting him be there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So let's dive in a little bit. So money and NLP. And, you know, I think for those that don't know what NLP is, neuro-linguistic programming, but if you want to elaborate a little bit more on your NLP training and different types or, you know, how how you see NLP with money or wherever you want to go with it. Right. You know, but uh, I'm going to let you start taking it away. Great. Thank you. Yes. As you mentioned, NLP is neuro-linguistics programming. It's really the language of the brain. So it's how the brain structures and puts sequences together and the meaning then that we make of it. And I use money as a lens in my work with NLP because it's about how we engage with life. Mm -hmm. For example, people have um, a range of issues around money where they don't have enough or they um, have a sense of scarcity or they're working really hard to try to get more money. So one of the examples I use is at the end of the month, do you dread looking at your credit card Mm -hmm. and your credit card statement? Because you've just allowed yourself during that month to buy and engage with things. And then you get to the point where you now regret it, dread looking at it, or feel shame or guilt around what you've spent and tried to allow yourself to have. So if you feel guilty or shameful about the things that you've reached for or that you're trying to have or give yourself in life, what does that say about your relationship to life and the relationship with yourself? Mm -hmm. So money magnifies how we engage with life. So then it starts to point back to our limiting beliefs about ourselves um, and things that, that we distort and generalize about that create either unwanted experiences that we keep having over and over again, no matter what we do that we're trying to stop having, or there's an experience we really want to have that we're not able to create or have. So that's kind of the first place that I look because our conscious brain um, is making these choices, but it's our subconscious and even critter reptilian brain that is possibly reinforcing a limiting pattern uh, or belief that prevent us from having what we want. Absolutely. And I like that you're looking at it as, you know, a magnifying glass for everything else in life, right? Because, you know, I'm sure people have heard money is energy, you know, and it's just one of the tools that we use to operate through this existence, but looking at it through that lens, but also realizing that there are certain beliefs and patterns in the, in the ways that we feel in our relationship that 
um, sometimes we don't even realize, you know, what it is that the inner dialogue, the inner story, the inner relationship that it's going on. But um, in this whole approach, it's about saying, you know what, if you understand it, you can shift it. Yeah, exactly. And people get so charged up um, around money, but really that's a symptom of something that's going on inside. Absolutely. And, and I mean, one of the things that I know that you wanted to touch on was that a lot of people that listen to these podcasts and things like that, they've done some work on their self. It's uh, they've dived in, but then, you know, a lot of times people have spent years, months, sometimes even decades doing a lot of work on their self and they still don't have what they want yet. And so can we, you, you touch a little bit on that and what that's all about? Absolutely. Cause it's a common complaint I get like, why don't I have it yet? After yeah. years of, you know, like you said, journaling affirmations, self-work. Part of the problem is, is that when we do um, some of the work that is mainstream for us to do on these limiting beliefs, it's all in our conscious brain. So we have something called the executive fun functioning brain, which is the cerebral cortex. We have different parts of our brain. They're basically separate brains all held in one. And then back here at the base of your skull, the top of your spinal cord is the reptilian brain, which I refer to as the critter brain. These are two different brains that have two different functions and two different purposes. The critter brain is all about survival and the executive function brain is all about choice and quality of life. So when you decide that you wanna have more money in your life, you wanna have more creativity, more freedom, a love um, relationship, that's coming from up here, from your executive functioning brain. But the critter brain may be running a pattern from your childhood that feels like you're not worthy, you're not deserving, um, those kind of things. And those two are at odds with each other. When we do meditations, affirmations, even therapy and some other change style work, we're only working in our executive functioning brain. And that does not communicate as directly as we would like it to, to our critter brain. Mm -hmm. The critter brain is just all about survival. So you can do all the affirmations and journaling and books that you read and, and seminars. And if they don't deal with where that limiting pattern was laid down, that belief, then it'll take a long time to get there. It's kind of like walking from California to New York. You will get there. It's just a long time. It just mm -hmm. takes longer. And some people get stuck in Ohio. And Ohio is not a bad place to get stuck. But sometimes people just get stuck in Ohio. And they're like, I haven't been able to get any farther. I want to get to my destination. Let me go. Um, yeah. So, Which is important to analogy that like, you know, sometimes you might you, uh, notice incremental changes and you think that you're on that way and then you get stuck again. Right. You know, because there's steps towards everything. Yeah. And insights happen at the conscious brain. The subconscious critter brain doesn't care about those insights. It's not checking the flavor of quality. It's just saying, am I still alive? So we can read a book and have great insights about what happened to us, why we decided that or what, you know, what the pattern came from, but it doesn't actually change the pattern. And a lot of times that conscious brain in the work that we do uh, in general in the public is they want you to catch yourself in the moment. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're feeling um, anxious, you're feeling scared or procrastinating or a sense of lack or unworthy, catch yourself and meditate or um, do affirmations on it. All wonderful, lovely practices, but you're still dealing with the conscious brain. Um, and you mainly do those practices for half hour, an hour during the day when that critter brain loop of not feeling deserving, not feeling worthy will be running 24 seven without stop. So you're only interrupting it for a period of time versus so, going to source. So how do you use an NLP to interrupt that critter brain? 
I'm so glad you asked. Uh, it's again, it's about the language of the brain. So the conscious brain, obviously, we can use language. The critter brain uh, doesn't use language because language doesn't come on until later in life or later in development. So we use pictures, sounds, and feelings. And we go back and we give through NLP through techniques of anchoring and some spatial exercising. We give it more options than the survival pattern. For example, if you were a child that grew up um, getting hit on your on the head by a hammer, whether it was figuratively or literally, your critter brain goes, oh my God, he's got hit by a hammer. Okay, I survived. And they get hit, oh, got hit by a hammer. Okay, I survived. And you have that happen enough that the critter brain goes, oh, I can survive being hit by a hammer. You get old enough, you leave that situation. You're like, I'm free from the conscious brain. I'm free. The critter brain is starting to wonder, I haven't been hit on the head in a while. Am I still alive? So it goes out there and searches for people to outsource hammer hitting. So instead of it being a parent, let's say, it'll become a spouse, a coworker, a boss, a landlord. It'll become somebody else. And then you get hit on the head and you go, oh, the critter brain goes, oh, I can relax. I'm still alive. So that's how we can repeat the same oscillating patterns with money, with love, um, any kind of situation. It's because that brain is trying to repeat it versus your conscious brain is saying, I want something better. Why am I still back here? Yeah. Okay. So you're basically saying that there's techniques mm -hmm. and strategies and these techniques and strategies, whether that be uh, anchoring or pattern or switch, pa switch pattern or any of these other NLP techniques, but you utilize these techniques. And in a moment, in an instance, people are given multiple choices and their brain can start to operate from a different paradigm. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Because the, the critter brain will keep choosing the hammer unless you give it something else and then mm -hmm. you give it something else it always pick the best option but absolutely because it's actually techniques don't take very long what takes a little while is finding what that um that original belief was okay Which okay it and when you work with people um what do you find that the three biggest blocks to money are mm. so one is limiting beliefs like you have to work hard to have money right we have a culture of that we have a family of that that's one, safety patterns, which actually affect our, our identity. We uh, don't feel worthy, we don't feel deserving, we're too much, we're not enough. And the third one I find fascinating, it's family inherited loyalties. It has to do with family constellation work. Okay. Where we, we inherit um, trauma from our past grandparents, parents, great-grandparents, and we take it on ourselves. And this is again, all subconscious as a way to say that um, we love them and prove our loyalty. So if you okay. have um, like a parent who was depressed when you were born, a child may come in and feel that parent's depression. Maybe it's because they're lonely because they lost their twin sister when they were just a year old. That little baby that comes in will realize their mother's depressed out of loneliness. So they'll say, I don't want you to be alone. I'm going to get depressed with you. And then they grow up being depressed and having, um, so they, they can be depressed together and not be alone. It never mm -hmm. fills it. All it does is replicate more of the pain. So that family inherited loyal piece is the third block because a lot of times first, second generations feel like, who am I to have it better? Who am I to have life um, or success more easily when past generations have struggled so much, have had it for so hard for so long, and a lot of them did not have much. So yeah. there's a lot of that that comes down. It gets in the way. Okay. And in these beliefs, when people get tripped up about money or how, you know, like what are the, the, the beliefs that end up tripping people up around money? 
things. So one is money is not your security or your freedom. You actually are. Money can actually serve you best when it serves those ends, but it's not an end in of itself. Because mm-hmm. think about it. How many people do you know who work hard, but aren't free? Yeah. Or people who don't work that hard, but tend to be able to do whatever they like. And we all know people who have a lot of money, but don't take the time to enjoy themselves because they're worried about losing it and they can't stop working. They never take vacations. So there's no freedom there, right? Mm-hmm. Second one is um, money's not what keeps you stuck. And it's also not what lets you move. Because if you think about it, how many lottery, lottery, sorry, lotto, lottery winners have we heard about who make a bunch of money and then they completely blow up their lives or go bankrupt? Or even young celebrities who skyrocket to fame and then very shortly, you know, they're, they're, they're in rehab, they're doing all these um, destructive things in their lives. It's mm-hmm. not the money, it's their beliefs around the money that keeps them stuck and how much they feel uh, they deserve. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They call it the curse of the lottery, right? You know, yes, it's that true. most people, 90 some percent of people that win the lottery within three to five years, they're back to the so- same social economic standpoint that they were prior to winning. So, you know, it's because if they don't change what's going on underneath. It doesn't matter, you know, because a lot of times people say that it's all about circumstances. And I'm glad that you touched on that. You know, because so many people say, if only my circumstances were different, if only if I got paid more at my job, if only I won the lottery, if only I had this other things. But the bottom line is the proof is in the pudding and the reality is time and time again, follow that. And if people don't change what's going on internally and change that critter mind, like you like to call it, um, they'll find themselves, it, 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 it'll just be chasing another rabbit on the stick and that won't equal that fulfillment or keeping or manifesting or holding or attaining. Absolutely right. You're right. And I, um, in my work, run across people who have amazing amounts of money that they cannot um, spend in their lifetime, but they still have a scarcity mindset. They Mm -hmm. don't know when is enough because it has to do with how they feel about themselves, their relationship to themselves. I love that. I love that. That's bringing it back to what are these core belief systems about you? And using money is just a reflection of that. And I like that a few times you've tied in, whether it's money, whether it's a relationship, whether it's something else, right? That, you know, they're, they're all offshoots of this, you know, they're, they're, here's the tree and here's all the fruits, right? You know, and you can pull the different fruits off, but they're all coming from the same tree. And if you fix the tree, then, you know, all those areas will fix itself too, or become more in alignment, right? You're right. Because if you feel you're not deserving, then you won't be, you won't feel deserving having more money than you think you deserve or having a better relationship than you deserve, having better um, love affairs than you deserve or better experiences in life than you deserve. That undeserving colors everything and you can come at it from any direction and it can, once you shift it, it can reverberate in all these areas, which is wonderful. Absolutely. So what are some of those other beliefs that trip people up around money? Yeah, thank you. The third one is um, your worth is immeasurable and eternal. Money cannot add to your worth and it can't take away from it. And neither can the lack of money. You know, if anybody out there who's listening has ever had kids, have been a kid or seen one on TV, how many babies do you know? (laughs) Thank you. Have you ever seen a kid? (laughs) (laughs) You've ever seen a kid. Um, How many babies do you know who are born worthless? I mean, they have no job. They have no money. Does that make them worthless? No. No, it doesn't. But we're the only species that measures our worth and find it lacking. 
if you don't have a tree out there reaching for sunshine and saying, oh, I shouldn't take any more sunshine. I'm blocking the irises or I'm blocking the, you know, the grass. No, it's like, I'm going to take, I'm here. And if you stand and enjoy as much sunshine as you want, does it take, does it make the world darker for other people? It doesn't, but we measure our worth and we measure it on a, um, a system of money that is a collective uh, uh, hallucination, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it causes us trouble when we do that because that is not what our worth is. Our worth is eternal and immeasurable. So that's yeah. one. Yeah. I like that analogy of like, if you were taking the sun, right. It doesn't take away the sun's up there. It's abundant. You know, you taking it doesn't take away from somebody else taking it. Yeah. It's not a zero sum game. Yeah. It's a, um, an, ex- an expansive sum that's happening. Right. And it's like, I can't take, are you going to start getting sick if I take all the great health in the world? No, yeah. no. <laughs> But that's what people think, though, and which brings me to one of my next questions are how these limiting beliefs even get created. Yeah, it has uh, has a lot to do with uh, how our brains develop and being young. I mean, you always hear about the childhood, right? And it's true because our beliefs about ourselves are in place by the time we're three, if not for sure, by six years of age. Mm -hmm. And those, a three-year-old who's deciding their worth, um, and it gets put down for the next four, five, six decades, you're living from that place unless you can interrupt it. And it happens from being in a culture of family, whatever their beliefs are, we can inherit. Like, again, I come from a family of farmers. You have to work hard. And I believed that for years because that's what we did. And that's what I saw. And it's the Mm -hmm. atmosphere that I swam in. Or it's again, safety patterning where something happens and we're trying to make sense of the world as little kids. And it could be a stressful thing. Parents get divorced. They have to move out of their house. It burns down. Something happens. And the child will make an association to it and put that on themselves. Yeah. Or will grab something from a previous generation and take it on out of love and loyalty um, or the family still wants it to be acknowledged. So that's how they get it. It's fascinating. And it doesn't have to just be one incident. It could be several that show up and, and impact. And, and, and I think that it's important to reference because, I mean, there might be some new parents or some soon-to-be parents or some planning parents that might be listening and thinking about, well, what do I do to not screw up my kids <laughs> to have these limiting beliefs? But, you know, like in some of the analogies that you're giving, that it can even just be an inference of a situation, right? So no matter what, I think that at least it's my belief system, it's part of the human condition to overcome challenges in life. I mean, if life was easy, we probably would hit the reset button immediately because what would be the point, right? Friction creates motion. And so there's these limited beliefs that almost like are part of our story that we have to we don't realize that we have, then we, then we have these negative patterns and we realize that maybe there's some belief systems and we heal and then we move beyond it, but it's the story of humanity, right? You know, and I think no matter how perfect your parents might be or how perfect you might parent your kids, there are limiting beliefs that are going to get created. I mean, it's kind of inevitable, uh, wouldn't you say? I don't think I've ever met a person that doesn't have a limiting belief. So don't worry about it. (laughs) The important thing is that there's solutions to shift them. (laughs) 
It's true. It's absolutely true. And it's part of the experience that we want coming into this 3D world, coming onto this planet, right? You want the whole gamut. And they've changed. I mean, if you look over, you know, generations of time, the things that we struggle with and deal with, this seems to be more internal um, versus being so physical in the past. Also, there's um, something that you said that I appreciated. Yeah, being worried. You know, the best thing you can do for your child is be happy. If you are happy, and granted, life is going to have its, its ups and downs, but if you're happy, you give permission to your children to be happy because every child's born in to, and they want to heal their family pain. No child can actually do it, but if they don't feel the pain, I don't mean like hide it away, but you just own it for yourself, then there's a lot more freedom for your child to choose something else or have a limited belief about something else. <laughs> yeah. But and then and also to work on those things that you notice because I think that being a person of example too, right? You know, people see the strive for growth, the strive for change, you know, setting that as a willingness, just like a role model of like if you take care of your health, your child sees that, right? You know, but let's get into shifting these and how to shift them permanently. The key word here, permanently, <laughs> right? You know. So these things embedded since you were three, maybe six if you're lucky, but they're in there. And you have these negative belief systems or limiting belief systems or whatever they might be. And they can be shifted and they can be shifted permanently even if you've had them for 50 years, but how? Got it. So um, one of the things that we do is we start looking at how that belief is structured. So I would ask somebody, what is your, uh, what's the unwanted experience that you're having? And as they describe it, like um, recently someone was telling me they hate the oscillation of money. They have money, they have no money. They have money, they have no money. So then we talk about, well, what is it you'd actually like to have? And they said, just calm even. And I get why they wouldn't want the lows, but why don't you want to be a little higher to the top? And that was also really stressful, right? So when I ask questions like that, I start to see how they've organized their world and their beliefs. And when we can find out what's the youngest age you that first experienced this, in the, even though it wasn't in this particular context. Because a lot of times the symptoms are in today's world, but we start looking in the past. Another way is, um, as I talk to people, I'm watching what their brain is doing. In transformation LP, you can see where their eyes are going, where their brain is thinking, where that image or sound or feeling is placed. Like if it's placed out to their right, um, that's to where we look to the future. So if you have a limiting belief of like being one years old, not feeling just worthy of your parents' love, every time you try to do something you love, you look through those eyes of that one-year-old feeling um, not deserving as you try to do something you want to do. So that mm -hmm. creates a charge that may stop you from doing what you're doing. Then what we do is we bring in resources or what we call anchors um, to that child. And each person, it's different. It depends on what they're needing, what the belief is made of. But I also have um, patterns. Like some are talking to your parts, talking to your subconscious parts, the parts mm -hmm. of you put those in place, why they put them in place, what the uh, intended positive outcome was. Because every one of these limiting patterns safety patterns or inherited family loyalties have an intended positive um, intention to them. You enjoying this so far? Did you forget to subscribe? Make sure to do so. It takes two seconds. Just press that little button, the red one, you know the one. Just press it, little like, 
All right. Enjoy the rest of this content. Where they wanted to make you happy, make you safe, make you feel like you belong, whatever it was. Yeah. It's the action that is happening from it that isn't what we want, but we do appreciate parts of us are other than conscious and subconscious parts that want us to be happy and safe and belong. So it's about having those conversations with different parts of you. Um, Yeah. I don't know if that answers okay, so, yeah. yeah. So basically to summarize for people is that you get an understanding of where the limiting beliefs, what they are, um, how they serve you, right? You know, because everything has served you in some way, shape, or form. And then it's using different techniques and strategies to work towards shifting those and giving your critter mind and your unconscious mind, another choice and another alternative through eye patterns, physical, um, and in language, right? Exactly. It's a really great summer. That's awesome. Um, cause it's really, let's give, let's give, let's give somebody a, a, like an example to help them understand a little bit better. Right. You know, I like that you were saying that, you know, some of these things have served people and people, a lot of people have a hard time grasping that because they say, Oh, this has brought me so much pain or this has brought me so much of this, but you know, can you give an example of a client that you worked with that maybe had a limiting belief and how you uncovered how that was serving the person and how that part of them was assisting them, even though it was something that they didn't want to exhibit, but how it actually was a value and what kind of strategy or technique you use to help shift that. Sure. Actually, um, I'll even give you an example from my own life. And okay, great. Yes. So I um, used to travel for my job. I could travel for my job, but I couldn't travel for myself personally. Like I'd be invited to friends' weddings and I go, can't go. I would just clinch up like this inside my body. It's like a little bit of a freeze. I had the money, I could take vacation, but I, there was something that wouldn't allow me to do it. Hmm. So as I was studying and also a participant of this work, I wanted more freedom. I wanted more freedom in my life. So what we did was, you know, asking these questions that I want more freedom. And there's a place that your brain looks for that imprint I talked about before. And when I uncovered, what they uncovered was I was three years old in my grandmother's yard and I'd walked out the gate and my father got afraid for my safety. So he came out after me and he yelled at me not to go into the yard. And I had a dad who, you know, wants to yell once and be done with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the toddler may take, you know, dozens of times in a day, but, um, <laughs> and so, um, I, as a little toddler was afraid of that, of that voice, of that command of his own fear. And I decided it wasn't safe to explore the world. Mm. So every time I went to explore the world, I was like, <laughs> But if I was sanctioned by work, I could do it. So it was a way to keep me safe. At the same time, as an adult, I can keep myself safe. And I was having this experience I didn't want to have. So we shifted it with actually it's safe to explore the world. You know, I'm safe now. I'm an adult, all these things. And literally after that, I think that happened on a Saturday. The next week, I got an email from a, a friend of mine who was having a birthday party in New Orleans. And I'm in California. I had my flight in uh, hotel booked within 24 hours. And I would have never done that before. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's another thing that I want people to really get is that change happens in a moment, right? Mm -hmm. It's just allowing yourself to get to the point that you're ready to change is what is the perceived 
length of time. You know, people say, oh, it took, took years to change. No, it took years for you to get ready to change. But really, when you make that decision or that thing happens internally, when you have that click, right, that aha, like within 24 hours, you're booking a flight. Yes. For Christine, personal I, and not business. Totally. And then I love that you brought this up because it's always been a question of mine. I mean, it's part of this is why do we feel like, oh, we had to work so like we worked for years to make this change. Like there's some, it's a little bit of almost a badge of pride that we mm-hmm. have, now we deserve it. It's, there's this thing when we, uh, we have to work hard enough to deserve something, right? We're the ones to your point that resist having that change in a moment. Yeah, we are, which leads me to the next thing about procrastination, struggle, dread, and scarcity not being normal, and that they're just common. Yes. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, because I don't think that it's our natural state to be like, oh, oh, I'm going to struggle, you know, but like, it's so common that now people just accept it as like, all right, you know, that's just how it is. You know, things build up, things are hard, things are dread, there's not enough, you know, but it's not really the reality. But yeah, no. it's the, now the such the norm in society. <laughs> it's true. And you, you'll notice there'll be times when people talk that way. You want to also talk about what's hard or been struggling or taking you a long time as well. Because if you say, oh, no, that was really easy. You almost then don't belong to that group. You feel a little bit like an outcast. Not that People aren't afraid to be themselves, but there's a bit of, there's so much agreement about how much we have to struggle. Like I worked really hard and it was worth it. I sacrificed and it was worth it. Or I worked five years straight and now I'm taking my vacation. I deserve a vacation. Yeah. Really how we want to live life. But we, it's so common, you know, in our immediate families and in our societies, our communities in the world that we do take it on as a way of belonging and a way of um, a belief that gets reinforced by something called the reticulating activating system, the RIS in our brain that searches for um, what we believe is evidence, which then reinforces our belief, which reinforces our evidence that we keep finding. Yeah. Yeah. But I've noticed over the years um, that, that working hard, it's like, and struggle, it's about, a lot of times it's about not deserving because we feel like if we're not deserving, we'll often not let ourselves have more than we think we deserve. And so we won't let ourselves usually have very much because again, it's about how we engage with life. Mm-hmm. And if we accidentally get more than we think we deserve, we'll have it go away. We'll blow it up or we'll give it away. We'll ruin it. We'll sabotage it. Like, yes. you know, which or- happens a lot in people with the relationships, right? You see that really like they get like love and they get connection and you're like, Oh wait, that's a little <laughs> bit too much for me. Let me like, go and sabotage it and ruin it or start a fight out of no reason. And bam, that person goes away. It's true. It's so true because this thing about beliefs is um, we will get them to be true. Mm-hmm. And so what we'll do is we'll either get, um, we'll arrange for people to treat us the way that we believe we're supposed to be treated or we'll distort the way they treat us to mean that we, um, like if we don't think we're deserving. We'll get people to not, to treat us as if we're not deserving or we'll distort the way that they treat us to mean that we're not deserving because of, again, blowing things up, sabotaging. And it's fascinating. Whether it's- so, so basically what you're, what you're really saying is that we live in a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
Yes. And I'll throw in something else that I like to do, which um, we're actually, yes, self-fulfilling. And we're also in a mirroring universe. So mm-hmm. what we create starts, you know, we put out starts to bounce back. And if we have a past behind us that is distorted, you know, not worthy, struggling hard, that's also coming forward to be reflected back. Yeah. And, and I think that that goes, you kind of just glossed over it, but to repeat it for people about that repetitive pattern and like you see what you believe, right? And so that constant validation as you look out into the world, you see that same thing, it reinforces, you see it again, you reinforce, but there's a million things going on at any given moment. You're choosing to choose to see that, which is re- reinforcing that belief system that further strengthens that. Right. Well, it's not a belief. It's not true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, personally, yeah. well, I believe this because you believe it's true. And so you're going to. Yeah. And, and so then you're going to read the articles or see the things or, you know, there could be 50 people on the on the on the street and you believe that, you know, all couples fight or or, you know, money's hard or whatever the case may be. And you happen to notice the one people fighting in the, in the corner while over here there's lovey and there's this and there's people holding hands and there's uh, people enjoying meals over there. But you look at that because yes. that reinforces your model of the world or your belief system. Right. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh. you can see it like um, I have a two and a half year old and he loves dump trucks. I don't notice dump trucks, but ever since I've had him, there are so many dump trucks on in our community on a daily basis i never noticed them before but now that my attention's on there and i'm, I'm like wow there's a lot of dump trucks so that reinforces me seeing even more dump trucks <laughs> yeah but energy goes where attention flows or attention or whatever however that statement is <laughs> i yeah, murdered it, it. <laughs> no it's right it's true like if you're going to buy a new car and you're looking at a certain model all of a sudden you see those cars everywhere when before you didn't notice them But that's the important thing to really reinforce to those that are listening is how easy it is to shift what your mind sees and focuses on. And I think that that's the body of the work that you do as an NLP transformational uh, practitioner is that you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, well, we can just maneuver your viewpoint to see this car because you're going to buy this car, right? You know, and that happens on an unconscious basis, but you train to say, okay, well, what kind of car do you want? What, what do you want it to look like? What do you want it to feel like? What's the brand? What's the color? What's all of that? And before you know it, the person's going to notice it everywhere. But if it works that way for a car, why wouldn't it work that way for noticing opportunities for success, for other streams of income, known or unknown sources, for uh, other potential friends or partners or better health options or better solutions to whatever is going on in your life to move you forward? If it can do that for a car, why can't it do it for everything? It's true. And what's great is when you put it on automatic because you've gotten the blocks out of the way. So it's doing it for you subconsciously on your behalf. Yeah. So less work. So life could be a little easier. Yeah. Cause who, who decided that it needed to be a struggle anyways? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did. <laughs> I love it. What else do you want to share Regina before we wrap up? Oh my gosh. It's a great question. Um, I would just say to people listening that, you know, just to be kind to yourself when we have these places we find ourselves struggling that we haven't been able to get through yet, it's really, um, there's a part of you that put that in place for a really good reason. 
and mm. you've just outgrown it, outdated it. It's kind of like software on your computer. It's time to upgrade it and to have compassion around that. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing broken. It was actually put in place to help a much, much younger version of you make sense of the world. that didn't know how to make sense of the world who didn't have cognition the way you do now, doesn't have language the way you do now. It may have just been an association of a feeling that it created into something that you deal with today. So it's really okay. And it's all revisable. I love that. And so if people are listening and saying, okay, I want to revise and have that software upgrade, where can people find you? Well, I have a, a Facebook page, sorry, Money Beliefs by Design or rm at reginemartinelli.com is my email. Perfect. We'll put it all down there too and get everybody all hooked up with the links so that they can find you and hopefully do some work with you and see what else that you can help people transform their lives so that they can start to have the beliefs that they want, not the, the beliefs that they adopted. Thank you. Yeah. I'm actually um, in next month, I'm actually offering a free beta course around unlocking your money blueprint. It's a three week course. It's free. Um, I think I gave you guys the, the link to it. And so people are welcome to apply and do it. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. Do the money blueprint. Come on, you guys. And the best word is free. And yeah. so, and, these, and, that, and, that, and you know, like, so there's no limitations on that as far as any reason why you can't go and explore and see maybe there's everything to gain and absolutely nothing to lose. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure, Regina. You too, Thank Christine. You. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. And for all of our viewers, listeners, um, please like, subscribe. You know, that's how more people find us. Uh, share this content um, with whomever you like. But if you just put like a little thumbs up or a little comment in the section, if you're watching this on YouTube, that really helps. Otherwise, do some rating on uh, Shopify or, or I mean, uh, Spotify or iTunes or any of those other platforms that you might be listening. But thank you. And until next time. Have a beautiful day. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this conversation, please like it, subscribe, and share it with your friends. If you want to hear more about what we have going on and happening online or in, in the neighborhood, check out liberateyourself.com and sign up for our mailing list. Uh, also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Liberate Yourself. It's you are self, you are S E L F. Until next time, be powerful, be magical, and be free. Hi everybody, I'm Christina, founder of Liberate. This is our mascots, Miss Piggy and Mr. Chew. Liberate is like the Willy Wonka chocolate factory for spirituality. You might wonder what the heck that is. And so basically Liberate is a place of sheer magic, activating and reigniting that magic into you so that you can live your fullest potential and most fulfilled life. When you walk through the door, you're gonna see magic everywhere you look. You look down and you see a crystal floor made with over 10,000 pounds of crystals. You say that's a lot, but I know I laid them and had to do numerous trips to the crystal store to buy more and more crystals. There's all of these beautiful, magical gemstones that are activating and creating healing from the beneath and the surface. 
You see the tree of life when you first walk in. You go upstairs and every room has its custom sacred geometry mural in it. And then you notice that each of the rooms are labeled with different uh, names of deities or archangels from different traditions and, and religions from all over the world. This is liberate. Liberate is a space of union. Liberate is a space of creativity. Liberate is a space of expansion. And we're here to help heal you, transform, and help you rediscover yourself.